What's that smell? Oh, I burned the shit out of a bunch of chicken breasts. Would you mind leaving the door open? Because we're about to die from smoke of this. <coughs> you know, so I have a I have a pun calendar. That, I do uh, know. Yeah, you yeah, you know. Calendar. But I, I have a pun calendar, and my sister got it for me for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I'm in like a, like a di- couple Discord servers with people that I play video games with. And now it's become a custom Nerd. in two different servers where I have to hop in and tell them the pun of the day. So it's actually gotten to the point where it's it's almost annoying sometimes because I have to I have to read the pun of the day to like nine different people. Are, are you telling me you want to read the pun of the day on the podcast? Uh, I mean, I can, yeah, I can do that. I can do add one more to that mix. Yeah, that's that's the exact uh, you know feeling. That's that I was exactly what you were. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, go get it. All right, I'll go get it. This fucking asshole. You look curious. Uh, yeah, you know. So actually, I'm I'm going to ultimately read yesterday's pun because I enjoyed that one. <laughs> uh, I just read today's for the first time, and I don't think that this is a pun. Well, let let's hear them both. Yeah. All right. So this is uh this is you want to hear today's or yesterday's first? <sighs> let's hear yesterday's because you okay. confirm that yeah, to yeah. be a solid pun. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So so yesterday's pun. Why couldn't the computer take its hat off? Why? Because caps lock was on. <laughs> Want to die? Want to fucking die? That's a good one. I like that one. But here's today's. A uh, little confused. Um, I had a dream. I was eating a giant marshmallow. When I woke up, my pillow was gone. What? That's not a pun. They ate their pillow. Yeah, no, I get that part. That's not a pun, though. How is that a pun? Because they rhyme. <laughs> it's not a good pun. It's not a good pun. It's not, you know, a rhyme isn't isn't a pun. Some, sometimes it is. It can be, but it's not, like, mutually exclusive. They're not yeah. always going to be a pun. I would argue that both of those were fucking atrocious. No, I think yesterday's was fucking great. Uh, I Yesterday's was very... Mu- Dude, caps lock... Hat off, dude. That's classic comedy right there. We really are a nightmare together with you and your puns and me and my existence. Constant, yeah. My rhyming. <laughs> and then <laughs> we true, slowly yeah. pick up on each other's things and then we're just like a couple of belligerent monsters. Yeah, well, you you definitely pick up on my thing. You've been telling more and more puns. In fact, it's almost like it's made me tell less puns lately because there's already just a bunch that are out in existence, which is interesting. Yeah, well, maybe you're intimidated by how good I am. No, it's not that. It's not that. Uh, I'm just like, you know, I've learned a level where I can't make too many puns or people around me start actually hating me. Uh, And since you're making them, I have to cut back on the ones I'm doing. Otherwise, everyone will hate both of us because they're just going to relate the puns to both of us all the time. See, people don't hate my puns. They, they They think they're sad. Oh, that that's that is true. Actually, I think that's mainly you projecting your own feelings because you feel sad when you tell one. No, they they frown at me like like you infected me with something. <laughs> yeah, but that's see, I've been they getting feel those bad for, for years, me. <laughs> and I also feel bad for you, and I hope you feel bad for yourself. <laughs> but you know uh, what what that's also caused is outside of uh, of me hanging out with you when I'm with other people, it's actually then ramped up the number of puns I tell with them. Because I'm like, my body's like, you know, it's in... Uh, withdrawals. Like, yeah, withdrawals yeah. from, uh, you know, not, not telling Lack them enough because we spend too much fucking time together. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
almost every day at this point. How else does the the turkey get broiled? Explain that statement, Trey. Um, what's the actual metaphor? <laughs> the cookie crumbles. No, but that's the turkey gets fisted with stuffing. <sighs> stuffed with stuffing. My bad. You know. Yeah, <laughs> stuffed with stuffing. Um, no, there's like that's the that's how the sausage gets made. That's that's the actual. I haven't heard that one. You've never heard that. Uh-uh. It's like seeing the inner workings of something. Mm, it's like okay. yeah, that's how the sausage gets made. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard that before. That's a strange Holy thing. Holy shit! This is this is amazing. This is a. Is it is it based off people realizing that sausage is just like random meat stuffed into an intestine and wrapped up? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just referring to like. Yeah, this thing that you see is totally normal actually mm-hmm. has this really fucked up process to get it to being your sense of normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot dogs are just intestines stuffed meat. Mmm. Mm. Yes. Dirty dog. <coughs> You're so hot. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Sneeze, sneeze. Should I get some ASMR shit going on? Yeah, the audience the listener loves that, you know? Some wet tongue. Oh, God. Just saying wet tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so, Trey, we um, we had a, an achievement this week. Uh, we an just reached 300 pitches on our, on our comedy we sketch did, show. We did, we did, we yeah. did. It's been, it's been a good time in the writer's room lately. Yeah, writer's room's been going well. Mm-hmm. We've been having a, a couple more guests that have been coming in, uh, which is true. nice. It's not just uh, us staring at each other's uh, ugly fucking faces every day, you know? Yeah, with the laptops out, just uh, tippity-typing away. It's been, it's been nice getting some other creative inputs, but also um, I feel like it's just helping us out finding mm. our groove more and like finding our voice within these sketches so it's been a good flow lately yeah it's it's nice seeing what ideas other people come up with uh after like reading some of our material too because mm. al- m- almost all the ones that i've seen come out of the other people are like very much adding on to the the style and the groove that we already have it's mm. not like just them having their own ideas it's very much adding to that same vision which is which is great to see mm-hmm. it was nice having some other people to read some of the characters with us too yeah, yeah, get like I said, it's great to have your work reviewed because you can hear what works and what mm-hmm. doesn't. And you can ask yourself why and how do I need to make something more clear for the audience? Yeah. Or for the actors interpreting my work. Totally, yeah. Yeah, you know, Princeton uh, especially having him, uh he was just such a a good re- he's a, clearly a great actor. Um Oh, yeah, Princeton uh, Bolton mm-hmm. who um I went to school with at the University of Northern Colorado. And is out here in L.A. a working actor. He is just a, a great creative mind. He's been working and developing his own projects. Yeah, he mm-hmm. is He is a force to collaborate with. And I loved um, uh, giving him feedback on his work as well. And that was just a great creative exchange. It was. Yeah, yeah we got to read some. I, I So I haven't really seen him act before. But now mm-hmm. I've been to uh, multiple staged readings with him. Uh, and he's fantastic. Like, we just did a staged reading for... Uh, uh, for a feature film that a friend of mine wrote, uh, mm-hmm. Jeremiah Blackman, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Dakota setting, and um, he played the lead, and he was fantastic. And then, yeah, having him here and reading his script that he wrote for a TV show they're trying to produce was was great. I, I loved it too. It's it very good writing. Yeah, him and uh, Jazzy Middleton, his partner, who I also went to school with at the University of Northern Colorado, who is also out here 
putting in the work on that show as well. Mm-hmm. Like together, they are just a complete creative force as much as they are apart. But um, yeah, we have a lot of great collaborators mm-hmm. surrounding us. And once we get in a better positioning, I, I really look forward to being able to um, tap shoulders. Yeah, definitely. And, and getting to collaborate with some of these people. Yeah. It was, you know, I think we were really fortunate coming out here. Uh, most people that like, you know, move to Los Angeles and New York to go pursue arts, they come with like a friend or two or by themselves. And we were, you know, we're, we're in an incredibly fortunate position that we know a ton of people who come out, came out here and most right around the same time. Yeah, it's good to have a tribe mm-hmm. that you can kind of depend and fall back on and uh, a small community that you can draw from. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, it was great. Like, I had, uh, you know, probably six or seven people from my school that I knew that all moved out here within a couple months of us. Yeah. Uh, and then a number of your close friends all moved out here, with, you know, right around the same Four time. Four close friends and mm-hmm. then, like, you know, another eight not super close friends, but, like, mm-hmm. still yeah, friends people, you know, that, for sure. are, that are around, definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah, now we you know we've gotten to mix those groups a little bit. They're starting to get in, get to know each other. So yeah, and some of them have been around for years, and some of them moved out here at the same time as us. So it's like it is nice range of experience and people and passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We look forward to you know growing that network also, and uh, you know Absolutely. getting getting more and more collaborators working on the same project. It's gonna Absolutely. be fantastic. I would love to work with more comedy writers I, I would love to get more people who have a passion for sketch writing in the room mm-hmm. with us and uh i would love to just like have a open creative conversation about all of our pitches that we've been assembling mm-hmm. teach them our system of coming up with pitches like that's been so beneficial to us i just totally uh, i think that would be really wonderful yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I greatly look forward to uh, to doing that. And you know, maybe, just maybe someday, getting paid for it. Ooh, uh, wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice. The dream. So you got some uh, coffee there? Yes, sir. In my where'd in you get that coffee? Oh, I grew it myself. Where'd you get it? I grew it myself. Oh. Raising the bean water, as they call it. Raising the bean water. Raising the bean water. I'll take the beans. Will you? Yeah. If you only need the water, then I'll take the beans. Well, the beans are mine, so... I'm Share gonna... the beans! No. Share the beans! Not with that has-been attitude. Please! Fine. <laughs> I'll share the beans. Well, as long as you don't spill the beans. I'm telling everybody. <laughs> Trey. Seamus. Why are we here today, Trey? Well, we're here to talk about our uh, our movie of the day. No, I mean here. In this city. In this place. In this emotional state that we... Yeah, okay, so movie of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, LP by PTA. LP by PTA. Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. So, you know... So far, you know, we're only a few episodes into this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're going over different movies each time. Uh, mm-hmm. Very first one was kind of a practice one. We talked about one of our all-time favorite movies, Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've gone through a couple. So far, um, 
pretty positive for the most part. You know, we talked about the French Dispatch. Had some sort of mixed feelings. Yeah. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, This will be the first movie on the podcast that uh, I'm actually going to express a lot of very negative feelings. I know you had some sort of more mixed reactions. Uh, yes. I had I strongly, I have very strong negative reactions to this movie. And I appeal to those negative reactions. Yeah. I agree with a good percentage of them. Um, I think I just have such an individual respect for Paul Thomas Anderson due to my love for his other films that I can see something good about this movie, but I just like, I think aspects of it spoiled it for me. Yeah. I I could see that it could have been a good movie. Mm. Uh, And I, you know, you've seen more of Paul Thomas Anderson's work. Um, Mm. I think, seen a couple, but the main the main one sticks out to me is uh, There Will Be Blood. Uh, like you know, incredible movie. He's he's clearly a wonderful filmmaker. Um, you know, getting that out there first. But I think that this particular film was a swing and a miss. Yeah. Um, so overall, Licorice Pizza. For those of you that haven't watched it, um, first uh, spoiler alert yes, for spoiler those alert. who haven't watched it. Um, might <laughs> want to go check out the film before you uh, continue listening. Yeah, or or listen to this and don't. You know, I, it's up to you. Trey and I have different opinions. Uh, <laughs> usually, I, I would I would agree with that. But so li- li- uh, licorice pizza today. Just the you know generally what it's about. Um, it's like a a teen who's a mild celebrity. You know, he got on like some sort of dance show. Uh, he's fifteen years old. Uh, falls in love with this twenty five year old girl who works at a high school photography company. Uh, and it's about them navigating their lives in the 1970s in uh, Encino, right? In Encino, like in the Valley in yeah, California. Yeah, yeah, in the Valley. Yeah. Um, Which is where several Paul Thomas Anderson's films have taken place, mm-hmm. from Boogie Nights to Magnolia to Punch Drunk Love. Like, he's been very interested in that area because it's the area in which he grew up. Yeah, and that makes sense. So off the bat, I, I the thing that immediately turned me off at the very beginning of the movie... Uh, and continued to make everything awkward for me. Even stuff that I might have liked otherwise was the fact that it's a 15-year-old. It's a love story between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. Yes, and I couldn't agree with that more. It immediately spoiled any joy that a modern audience can take Mm -hmm. from that relationship. And maybe it was done uh, justified through the time period, I don't think that's quite good enough for that type of age gap with underaged people. Yeah, I agree. Um, And, yeah, in general, I just think that there were some swings taken in namesake of nostalgia or Mm -hmm. childhood fulfillment or fantasy, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, on the the subject of, like, the 15 and 25-year-old thing... Mm -hmm. um, that age gap is kind of horrendous. Like, yeah. even I think it, I would have accepted it if, like, the main character had been 18, for instance. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, like, loved it. 18, 25 still a bit much. But, like, I would have been like, okay, you know, maybe you're soulmates. Like, you love each other. You can – I can accept that gap. But 15? And 25. Oh, man. And it's like, that is pretty underaged. And that is a 10-year age gap. Mm-hmm. And it's like – it's very difficult to justify that by any standards, uh, never mind a time period. Yeah, I mean, you know, a 10-year age gap, if you're, like, older, is, like, whatever. You know, like, a 30 and a 40-year-old, all right, yeah, what, you're, you are both fully formed adults, like, you know, that, that's whatever, your choice. But a 15-year-old, man, I'm 24 years old, and the thought of a 15-year-old is like, oh, no, that is a child. Exactly. That is a child. 
Exactly. And, yeah, I just feel like in that film, uh, I I feel like a possible reason he could have done that was to make him seem like he really needs her in a lot of ways. And I'm like, you could still do that if he was a couple years older. Mm -hmm. Like, there are still ways to make him unable to drive or still struggling with his manhood if he's a little bit older than that. Yeah, And it would make everything a little bit easier on the audience rather than kind of spoiling the relationship in the first five minutes by an age gap that could be shrunk and wouldn't affect the plot. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think with that age gap as well, uh, it almost it, like it, it makes her come off as like emotionally manipulative because she's still like mm-hmm. going after this 15 year old, even when, like a lot of the time she's like kind of playing against it, you know, mm-hmm. but like ultimately she is still, trying to go for him and that much is clear the whole she movie can't let him go yeah she can't let him go and yeah. anytime he like goes after someone his age she like gets super jealous and like you know starts trying to you know manipulate him in the other way by making him jealous and it's like oh god guys mm-hmm. well and oh, man so many things so you sent me something last night uh some like interview questions with paul thomas anderson regarding yeah he was camp. recently asked uh about mm-hmm. the more controversial things in the film in an interview. Yeah. And I was curious what he was going to say, like, you know, wh- how he would justify that. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, let me just read uh, the quote. So I'm not, I'm not going to misquote anything that he says. Yeah, definitely. So the question to Paul Thomas Anderson does, does it surprise you how some people are reacting to the age difference between Alana and Gary? And his answer is, there's no line that's crossed, and there's nothing but the right intentions. It would surprise me if there was some kind of kerfuffle about it, because that's, there's not much there. Uh, that's not the story that we made in any kind of way. There isn't a provocative bone in this film's body. And the fact that he doesn't recognize it as a problem almost makes me more uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree. And the only way that I could possibly play devil's advocate is to say that I believe that this film was his dream as a child, and he is just fulfilling a childhood fantasy through a nostalgic fantasy Mm -hmm. through film. This is his childhood, and this is what he wished happened to him, and this is how he felt. Yeah, and I and I get that, and you know, also like when I was fifteen, you know, some beautiful twenty-five-year-old woman like was like, "Oh, wanted me like that." Of course, I would go for it. Yeah, but but I think it's dangerous to indulge the idea of her being into it or the fact that you think he thinks he can win her over Mm -hmm. yeah i I think um yeah if it like if it had portrayed her character as immediately like oh no you're 15 i'm not gonna do that Mm -hmm. Uh, because i mean that's that's what i would do as as i was older like it's okay like when you're young you have fantasies like that and you go after things because you don't really i mean you don't really understand like you don't have a reference for the age gap but when you're 25 you do yeah. Like, you really do. Yeah. And, yeah, the fact that it, it reinforced that and, like, tried to portray her in, like, a really positive light. Uh, yeah, it spoiled, it spoiled the her whole thing. Her character didn't seem like she was 24. She felt, like, tw- uh, 19 to 21, yeah, uh-huh. like, by the way she, that she behaved in a yeah. lot of ways as well. So it's like, I don't know. I, it just wasn't necessary mm-hmm. to make that age gap. Yeah, it I is. agree. So beyond that, uh, I mean, that's probably my biggest problem with the movie. The other problem mm. with it is the the use of the offensive fake oh, yes. uh, Asian accent, mm-hmm. and 
that's used by the restaurant owner to his wives. Yeah, so that part, uh, yeah, for, the, for those that haven't seen it, mm-hmm. uh, there is this like white, like probably 45, 50-year-old uh, restaurant owner who owns a Japanese restaurant with, um, uh, at first, just a wife who's Japanese, and she speaks Japanese. And anytime he talks to her, he just like, he talks in English in like a super racist Japanese accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like acts like he's translating, essentially. Yeah, and then it re- it's revealed later that he doesn't even understand Japanese. Yeah, which is kind of obvious through yeah, yeah. how he attempts to, in quotes, translate. But, um, yeah, and it's just super over the top, and I understand that, again, it's just them trying to demonstrate an era and yeah. how it actually was, but it just felt unnecessary. Like, it was glamorizing something about an era that did not need like it's glam this movie's glamorizing an era mm-hmm. but it was glamorizing some things that didn't need to be glamorized along with it yeah i think if it had those things but it made a point of being like this is what was wrong with the era mm-hmm. then i would be totally okay with it but they didn't really do that they just had it in there it had nothing to do with the story mm-hmm. and it was really offensive speaking of things that have nothing to do with the story the whole story <laughs> <laughs> The Sean Penn Tom Sean Penn Tom Waits bit. Yeah, whoa, what was that, dude? That shit was wild. It was out of nowhere. I I don't even know how that could have been conceived on the writing table and how everyone was like, Yes, this makes sense, let's go do it right, right? now. Because it is the most nonsensical scene I have almost ever seen. He he picks up an actress from an audition room, goes out with her and gets a drink. And then they're getting a drink. Gary shows up with Alana. Who's oh, Tom Waits. Well, well yeah. yeah. Gary shows up, sees oh, yeah, Alana with Sean Penn's character, mm-hmm. who is who picked her up from the casting to go get a drink. They see Tom Waits' character at the bar. Tom Waits comes over, starts joining the three of them for dinner. Then they start fighting with their fucking forks and joking around. Talks about his old movies and how he was... Like, always riding motorcycles. Well, and also, before that even happens, when just Sean Penn and uh, Alana are sitting down at dinner, uh, he just, like, starts going off on this monologue about this mountain in Korea that has every type of gun imaginable. Mm-hmm. And it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Nothing he says makes any sense at all. Because were some of them lines from the movie he's making? That's what she asked him. She was like, are we doing lines or is this real life? And he just like moves. He never past answers. It. He just keeps going. Yeah, <laughs> and like you don't know if he was like a soldier in, in like in the Korean War, mm-hmm. uh, or like this was from a movie, or he's just insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know. And then Gary walks in with like two other girls from mm-hmm. his school that are around his age, age appropriate, finally. And he's but he's got two of them. And he's walking in and he sits at his table. And he's like, "Nah, this is my fucking place." <laughs> and yeah. then he sees all of them over at the other table. And then Tom Waits is like, all right, out to the golf course. Gets the entire restaurant to stand up, walk outside to the golf course. There is a bonfire, Mm -hmm. and he sets up a motorcycle jump for Sean Penn's character. And... A really pitifully small motorcycle jump. Yeah, and Alana's on the back. She's going to do the jump with him, and then he takes off, and then she just fucking falls off, and then he just fucking forgets she existed. And meanwhile, Tom Waits is directing it all like it's a fucking motion picture, even though there's no Mm -hmm. camera equipment around. 
It was fucking insane well, for it, no reason. Yeah, and then he does the jump, and then they're all like, all right, let's go get drunk. And they all go back to the restaurant. Fire department comes, puts out the fire, and you never see the characters again. Never again. They never address it. They never talk about it, and you never see them again. And, like, it's just if, – if you were confused by what we just told you, let me tell you, it's equally as confusing watching it. It it's makes equally, no fucking sense. It makes no sense. And the same thing with the Bradley Cooper segment. Yeah, that one like it made it almost made more sense almost. and then it didn't because they didn't resolve it in the mm-hmm. end. So essentially, what happened there is Bradley Cooper is like Barbara Streisand's boyfriend mm-hmm. orders a waterbed. They show up late. He threatens them. Uh, he leaves on a date. He runs out of gas. Needs picked up by them. In the meantime, they destroy his waterbed. Yeah, they, they, like, fill it up, and then they just let the hose go in his bedroom and leave. And they think he's going to fuck him up, fuck them up when they see him, but Because yeah, the first time they meet him, yet. he threatens to strangle Gary's little brother, his, like, 10-year-old brother. He mm-hmm. just threatens to strangle him if they fuck up his house. And he's very upfront and honest about the fact that he likes tail way too much. Yes, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> well, I, yeah, so they, like, pick him up. They go take him to go get gas. Uh, he's, like, really creepy towards them and, and then, then they ditch him at the gas station mm-hmm. they ditch him they go smash up his car while he's not there uh-huh. and then they run out of gas and like reverse down this hill yeah uh and they end up like getting to a safe place and then they get gas cans and they just start jerking off the gas cans yeah they start good well that's like just kids yeah around. yeah but and then you don't see bradley cooper's character again until a scene until later in that scene Mm-hmm. Where he's just like walking down the street, kicking shit, and like he throws it, a trash can through a glass window. Yeah, he throws a fit, and then he sees two young girls walking down the street, and then he's like, and then he goes and tries to flirt with them, and it's like, that's how you're gonna close <laughs> that plot yeah. line. And he doesn't even seem to recognize Alana or the kids that just smashed up his car, destroyed his house, and abandoned him at a gas station. And in the trailer for Licorice Pizza, mm, yeah. there is footage of him, like, throwing a tantrum and breaking down a car with, like, fucking wrenches or something in his mm-hmm. hands. And he's just, like, fucking some shit up. And that scene wasn't in the movie. Yeah, there was no resolution to his plot whatsoever. He yeah. just, like, flirts with some teens, ignores the main characters who fucked him over. And then you never see him again. Never again. Never again. They <laughs> never even come close to resolving it. In fact, that moment, I almost, for that segment, got in- invested in the movie. I almost did. Yeah. Because, like, my heart was racing. So I'm like, oh, God, he's going to fucking kill he's these gonna kids. He's going to come back. Like, this is the crux of the plot. It yeah. must be. I thought that the movie was suddenly going to get, like, intense and crazy. And there was going to be, like, some murder with him. Yeah. But nothing happened. Nothing happened. Uh, just nothing. There was, they just moved on. Mm-hmm. Ah, and like that's that's the way most of the movie was. It felt like they started like six or seven different plot lines and then didn't resolve a single one of them. Yeah, uh, and also at the end with the uh, the guy who was running for the senator or for uh, the mayor, yeah, for, for mayor, mm-hmm. yes, uh, Benny Softy, uh, one of the directors of Uncut Jams, a good time. Uh, he was great though. I, all I, the actors were great. Yeah, all the actors were great, especially. Uh, Alana Hyam, uh, yeah. she, this is her film debut. She comes from the band Hyam with her two older sisters mm-hmm. who were also in the film. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has directed several of their music videos. Yeah. And they, she absolutely killed it. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't have a single complaint about a single actor in the movie. Yeah. It's Cooper all Hoffman, in the writing. son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, was <laughs> mm-hmm. also spectacular. Like, yeah, all, all the acting performances were really solid. Cinematography was beautiful. Uh, you know, the the sets were gorgeous. Um, it, it's just the the story itself was the most flawed thing. Yeah, it it made absolutely no sense from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. It is one of the most nonsensical movies I've ever seen in my life. And I love, like, weird indie shit yeah. that, like, takes it risks. It was and... more nonsensical than the French Dispatch in an odd way. Yeah, and uh, I was talking about that with my roommate last night, about mm-hmm. those two movies. French Dispatch, like, yeah, we talked about on the podcast, like, it was a little disjointed, like, it didn't quite feel like a cohesive vision. Mm-hmm. But it was still, like, an enjoyable movie. It still made sense. It just, like, yes. didn't the, quite connect. The cohesion was more clear than it was in this one. This one felt like, because they're both kind of vignette movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like French Dispatch made each individual vignette more clear with its yes. start and finish. I wish that those were a little bit more fulfilled as well, Yeah, but it kind of got all wrapped up in the end. It did, yeah. By it all being the newspaper. With mm-hmm. this one, we didn't get that satisfying, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Well, I think in French Dispatch, too, it was like three short films to me that were all kind of loosely connected by like this newspaper. Yeah. With this one, it was like the beginnings of six movies. With the same characters mm-hmm. that never continued any of the plot lines. Yeah, it's just like if you walk away from these scenarios, they'll stop existing. <laughs> I will say uh, there is one sort of nonsensical plot line that is my absolute favorite moment in the whole movie. In um, Licorice Pizza? Uh, yes, in Licorice yeah. Pizza. Uh, when he they're like selling waterbeds at this little convention. Yeah. And he just fucking gets arrested out of nowhere and they don't speak to him the whole time. Don't tell him why he's being arrested. Until Handcuff he's, him to the bench mm-hmm. at the police station. Walk into a room. Well, they, they say that in the car, after like being silent, no, Miranda writes nothing. In the car, they're just suddenly like, you're going to jail for murder, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, what? Uh, yeah, they, they fucking handcuff him to a bench in the police station. He sits there awkwardly, and then they just drag this guy in his underwear out. Different guy, uh-huh. underwear, out into the hall. He, they, like, arm-in-arm drag him. He looks at the guy. He's like, that's not him. And they take that they dude back into the room. <laughs> and the, wordlessly unhandcuff him. And don't say anything to him. And walk away. Yeah. yeah. It was hilarious. And it, then it was really funny. And then is outside and she's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And like that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually loved that. It was the one like plot that kind of started and went nowhere that was just hilarious by how ridiculous it was. Yeah. So, something about that concept is, is fun. It's just I, I wish it was made more clear. I wish a lot of things were just made more clear. And I think part of that is Paul Thomas Anderson – just editing things down and trusting his audience, mm-hmm. but he might have over. He might have put too much work in our, yeah, in our laps for this one. Yeah, I would be really curious to see like how much they cut from the movie. Like at some point, mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna watch this movie again. I did not like yeah, it. It yeah, was it was like two and a half hours long, and I was I just wanted it to end. Yeah. Uh, however, I might watch some deleted scenes if they come out at some point because mm-hmm. I'm curious if any of those scenes actually make the movie makes sense yeah yeah that is that is fair because yeah i don't don't necessarily know if it because i love paul thomas anderson and i love his writing and everything i thought some of his writing was pretty good i just thought the story was flawed like Mm -hmm. the dialogue is yeah the dialogue dialogue. is great actually for the most part yeah yeah for the most part but just something about the story 
well, we know what it was, the several things about the story, but it just took away from all the other great things that could have made this movie really good. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the whole movie is a love story between Alana and Gary, right? Mm-hmm. And ignoring the fact that it's 15-year-old and 25-year-old for a moment, I still don't buy the ending where they got together. It still upsets me because uh, they kind of like got angry at each other and like went apart, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like working for this guy who's running for the mayor. Uh, and she clearly has a crush on that guy, the can- uh, mayor candidate. And she also has a crush on her coworker that also works for that candidate. Well, he definitely has a crush on her. Yes, she kind of prioritizes the mayor. She over does, him. but she also kind of has a crush on him. Like yeah. that, that much is she kind flirts of with him. She flirts, and there's a scene where they're about to kiss. She's about to kiss this other guy who works for the mayor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she gets a call from the mayor who wants to have a drink with her. So she immediately forgets that guy that she was about to kiss. Uh, goes to have a drink with the mayor. Finds out that he's gay, and he just wants her to help cover up. Uh, like hide the fact that he's gay because take, it's a take 70s. his husband home yes. from their date, um, so it looks like she's dating him and not him. Exactly. And then when neither of those work out, then she goes back for Gary, the fifteen-year-old. But we're supposed to buy like she's just the only reason she's with him is because one of the both those guys didn't work out right then, and that none night, of the guys that she mm-hmm. tried before worked out. Yeah. She tried a bunch of other guys, and mm-hmm. just like there was, there was a fatal flaw with all of them that kept bringing her back to Gary. Yeah, and like I'm just confused at what message we're supposed to take out of that. Like, if nothing works out, go sleep with the 15 year old. Yeah, ex- and the the other thing about that is like he's not perfect. He's he's toxic in some ways, but he gets it from her. You know, he didn't start doing any shady shit until he felt betrayed by her. Yeah, and also, it's hard to be mad at him uh, because he did some mildly bad things, mm-hmm. but he's 15, he's and he didn't 15. do anything really bad. Like, yeah. it's it's like 15-year-old shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to actually be mad at him for doing that. Yeah, and putting that a- aside, it's like, e- even still, even if they were the same age, it was, it was still, like, not how you treat people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. Like, oh man, I I have it's just so many problems with this movie. Like yeah. uh, yesterday after we watched it, we were talking in the car. Like, what the hell just happened? Like, mm-hmm. what Paul Thomas Anderson's like a genius. What what was that movie? Uh, and you said to me, um, maybe if we like sit on it, let it resonate a little bit, like we might like it a little bit more on reflection. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, maybe. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no. No, I, I. this was awful. I expected to like it more, and my feelings have remained unchanged. Mm, yeah. Which means it isn't a good sign. No, it's a terrible sign. I don't dislike it more. I, I find it more distasteful based on um, Paul Thomas Anderson's answers to those questions Yeah, a little bit. I think it kind of soured it a little bit more for me uh, because I was like, oh, there wasn't a specific intent Mm-hmm. You know something else going along with uh, not a specific intent. So something we were talking about uh, mm-hmm. in the car also is why is it called licorice pizza? Like we just didn't like what was the purpose behind there's that? No Nothing licorice, to the movie. and there's no pizza involved yeah. in the film. But licorice so, pizza stands for uh, represents vinyl records because mm-hmm. they they were the color of licorice and they were the size of a pizza. Yeah, and so you know we looked that up, and I'm like that still has fucking nothing to do with the movie. And then you sent me a Q&A with PTA last night. Mm. Uh, and when asked, like, what, like what is, why did he name it Licorice Pizza? His answer was, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes you just run out of ideas. And which is wild because the the title during production, the working title, was Soggy Bottom, which makes way more sense if you have seen the movie. They, they reference that that's like what he calls his waterbeds before mm-hmm. she comes in and changes the name. But it, it's such a better symbolic title for what happens in the film. Yeah, it actually has something to do with the fucking movie at all. Yeah, there wasn't. I don't even remember seeing that many vinyl records in the movie. No, I don't remember seeing a single one. Maybe it appeared briefly, but there yeah. was ne- there was it, never a record store. There was never a, a point made about it. No, of anything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was so confused. And like maybe it's because it was kind of a soundtrack movie. But again, him just being like, you know, I don't know, means it. That's not why. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he doesn't have an answer for that is kind of astounding to me. When, like, he's he's a writer who, like, he has a reason for everything. Yeah. Everything is specific. If you have seen his, if you've seen any of his other films, yeah. it's a little confusing what just happened. And this is a very divisive film, and it's definitely not for everybody. It definitely wasn't super for us, even big fans of Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, but you know, I I think it's still good to get your own opinion on these things as well. It is, it is. Yeah. I'd love to hear some other people's opinions. Yeah. Also, I just gotta say, I'm a little irked that it's nominated for best picture. Yeah, best picture and best original screenplay. Yeah, I cannot agree I mean, with either of those. Statements. Dialogue, yes, but story, no. Sure, yeah, and screenplay is both. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, even like something like There Will Be Blood, right? Like there wasn't like a crazy story in that usually. Uh, not for the most part. For the most part, it's just like a character piece but it's brilliant mm-hmm. yeah it's the way he directs piece. it and mm-hmm. directs the actors he he can make just a character piece jump off the page and mm-hmm. look like you're in a period yeah and like that one i think the the plot was almost so simple that it serves this character piece even mm-hmm. more like it just it allows the characters to explore whereas this movie was almost the exact opposite in which the plot tried to be so complex that it almost destroyed the character piece in it for me it, it it wasn't the greatest weaving. Yeah. It was just event to event rather than a weaving of events. Yeah. Yeah. Like, his prior ensemble film, Magnolia, was mm-hmm. way better at that, was way better at interweaving the plot lines and having a lot of things going on at once and it working. Yeah. I, I, haven't, seen, I haven't seen a few of his films, and I think – like I've wanted to watch some of them, and I think now I'm definitely gonna go back and watch some of them because I want to compare them to this film. Because yeah, honestly, it's it's a shocking difference, and the only ones that are closer to this film, I would argue, uh, you know, are the ones that take place in the same area between like Inherent Vice and Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love is probably the closest uh, in terms of plot the one starring adam sandler and it's one of adam sandler's best performances Hmm. um but also inherent vice in the silly weirdness and the like confusion and you're like why did that just happen that's what inherent vice feels like a little bit too that's what uh that's what i was uh, talking to our friend ryan last night and i was telling about this movie and he didn't he didn't want to see it he said it looked bad to him and it it looked good to me so i didn't agree there but yeah i ran i ranted about this movie for like 15 minutes to him and he's like yeah that kind of reminds me of my experience watching inherent vice i was just super confused yeah Uh, yeah. and i haven't seen that one so it's it's it took me like three watches to be like oh i kind of get it now 
mm. for Inherent Vice. Because, like, you know, I, I respect the fuck out of PTA and Walking Phoenix, who was the star of Inherent Vice. Yeah. In, the, in that wacky stoner noir. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think Licorice Pizza might take a couple watches to understand. I just don't know if I want to do it. Yeah. I know that I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I, uh, there are a lot of movies that, like, when I, when I finish a really good movie, I feel like often I don't fully understand it, but I, like, mostly grasp it. And that inspires me to do a second watch. And, like, yeah. then I get the things that I didn't Like get. Nightmare Alley. Like Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that again. We did a podcast about that, and mm-hmm. uh, it's one of probably my top movies of all time. It's incredible. It was wonderful. It yeah. was a wonderful watch. Yeah, it was Great shocking. Great theatrical good. experience as well. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro's best film, in my opinion. Uh, but I don't, I, yeah, this one, I'm just, I feel like I was, I understand what it was trying to be and it was not that it did not get there. It did not live up to the hype. Licorice pizza, licorice pizza. I, I feel almost weird kind of shitting on Paul Thomas Anderson too, because I genuinely love all of his work and respect the fuck out of him and would kiss his feet if he was in front of me. Yeah, no, you know, he's, he's a genius. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, I uh, this was bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, sorry for the the angry rant today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like we're we're not gonna like every movie we see on this yeah. podcast, and uh, no matter how much we love a filmmaker, you know, there you yeah. never know. There's yeah, swings and misses sometimes, even when they're nominated for best picture. <laughs> yeah, even <laughs> when they're nominated for best picture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm curious to see, now that it is nominated for Best Picture, if more people will watch it and what a reaction will be from the audience. Because I, yeah. I really hadn't heard much about this movie outside of the fact that it was PTA and the trailer looked interesting. Yeah, I mean, all I heard was PTA, the trailer, and then I had heard the two controversies about the Asian accent and the age gap, and I wanted to like see it for myself, and I did, and... But yeah, they were two big complaints I had. I, I yeah. completely agree with that public reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Damn. Yeah, that's that's why. You know, someday I hope to meet Paul Thomas Anderson and could discuss some of his works with him and ask him I, why. <laughs> I'm not going to bring that up if I ever meet him. <laughs> I'm going to be like, let's talk about the master the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he'll probably uh, hate me if I bring that up. Because, I, I mean, I already get really passionate about that movie in a really negative way. Well, he's a very passionate guy. There's, like, this actress. I forget what her name was. But she was t- talking to this journalist in an article. And she was like, I had the worst night of my life hanging out with Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson on cocaine. Oh, yeah. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Apparently, they just gas each other up <laughs> and this was in the 90s and they were just like oh yeah fucking young dudes just fucking going yeah well and yeah quentin tarantino's uh pretty pretty infamous for how he acted when he was especially when he was younger yeah yeah would get in bar fights constantly yep love you tarantino love him <laughs> i don't know if i do <laughs> he scares me yeah it scares me a little bit too i love some of his work True. i love a lot of his work me too well everybody Thank you for joining us on Leave the Door Open, the podcast today. For more info on Leave the Door Open, visit us on Instagram at leave the door underscore pod and on TikTok at leave the door underscore. Make sure you follow Leave the Door Open on SoundCloud and get early access to new episodes of Leave the Door Open, the podcast.
what he said. Hey, it's me, Sylvester Stallone. Leave the door open. Oh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, it's me, I... Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage is... Leave oh. the door open. Do you want me to leave the door open? Yeah. All right. 